Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, so, okay, Genesis 39. And uh, let's first of all uh, start in prayer. Lord, we come to you. We would always, Lord, come to you before we come to your word because we need you. We need you, Lord. We remember what you said in Proverbs, I will make known my words to you. I will pour out my spirit to you. So, Lord, we pray this morning, pour out your spirit to us so that you can make your words known to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 39, verse 5. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer of his house, so this is Joseph, of course, being made overseer of Potiphar's house. It came to pass from the time that he made him overseer of his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. And it came to pass after these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house save than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph, day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. There was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. He left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Okay, now in our last study, you remember how we saw that the secret to Joseph's life was not his good looks, which he had, was not his superior intelligence or his ability to get along with people, but he had a single secret, which was in verse 2, where it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, we've been studying what it means and what it's meant for the Lord to have been with Joseph and what it did not mean for the Lord to be with Joseph. We saw that what it meant for the Lord to be with Joseph was particularly at the end of verse 2, where it says, he was a prosperous man. And verse 3, the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So we've seen this prosperity that God blessed Joseph with, and many today believe that, well, if you become a Christian and you're walking with God, then you're going to have prosperity. But there were periods in Joseph's life when he did prosper, and then there were periods when he didn't prosper, and that's the way it's true in our lives as well. But all through it all, the Lord was with him. That meant the Lord was with him when he prospered. The Lord was with him when he didn't prosper through his really hard times. 
So when I say the Lord was with him, it did not mean that Joseph was spared these hard times. And we're going to enter into one of these hard times here as we're coming into this. And so we've come now to the end of verse 6, which is telling of how all of this is told about how he's prospered in Potiphar's house. And there's a very interesting detail there at the end of verse 6 when it says, Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. Now, these are two Hebrew words that are used here, yofe and to'ar. Those are the two words. These words have been used before about another person, and that was Joseph's mother in Genesis 29, 17, when it describes Rachel was yofe and to'ar. Rachel was translated beautiful and well-favored. But she's described by these same two words. He got her genes of Yofe and Toar. <laughs> Yofe is, is translated for Rachel as beautiful, but the same word is Joseph. I guess they didn't want to say beautiful, so they said goodly. And Toar was translated for Rachel as well-favored, and the same word is translated the same thing, well-favored for Joseph. Yofe means beautiful. If you're in a class where Hebrew is spoken and you get the right answer, the teacher will say, Yofe, which means beautiful. Very rarely did I ever hear that. <laughs> anyway, Yofe speaks about beauty. And Rachel, Rachel had a stunning beauty to her. And her beauty just overcame Jacob when he saw her. And we remember that in Genesis 29.10, Genesis 29.10, when it says it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that he went near, and then he got this supernatural strength. He rolled the stone from the well's mouth, watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, and Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. That must have been some sight, you know? I mean, she was so beautiful that he was just overcome, and he kisses her, and then he starts to cry out loud. So Rachel had a crying out loud beauty. <laughs> okay. And so Joseph, he got the genes. He inherited the beauty from his mother. And so we would call him good looking. But Rachel was also described as toar. Now, toar refers to shape or form. It just means that for Rachel, all the bulges were in the right places and all the indentations were in the right places. So it's just saying that we would say she had a good figure. She had a good figure. And the fact that this is also used, this word is also used to describe Joseph, it tells them that he was, you know, well-built. So these details about Joseph are important, and they're put here because they're setting the stage for Potiphar's wife being attracted to Joseph. I mean, this was a problem for Joseph. I don't have this problem, but Joseph had this problem. Now, with the states of Joseph's good looks, we come to verse 7. And verse 7 opens with a very important statement. Few words, don't want to miss them, when it says, and it came to pass after these things. So the first question is, what things? What are the things that are being referred to here? It came to pass after what things? Well, the things that have been the previous verses here we've been reading about Joseph's prosperity. Verse 7 is saying, it came to pass after Joseph's prosperity that his mother's master's wife he cast her eyes upon Joseph. So that these things in the past were good things. But his master's wife casting her eyes upon Joseph was a bad thing. All right? So the message from the start of verse 7 is really this famous saying by this famous shogun in Japan 
who fought a lot of battles and actually unified Japan. And he said, after victory, tighten the straps on your helmet. Now, (laughs) that's what he said, okay? Now, you would think that a shogun, after victory, would take his helmet off and he would say, well, finally done with war. And now I can enter into a life of ease. No battles for me anymore. I'm just going to take my helmet off. But that's not what he said. I remember going out to a restaurant in Osaka with our distributor, Sumitomo, and we had just won a big court patent case in um, Japan. So we went to this restaurant, and they had reserved this room there, and they had, I don't think it was a real one, it was a replica of a Shogun's helmet, big, huge thing, and they put it on me and tightened the straps. (laughs) Got a picture of that. And then they served me that food, fugu, you know, the blowfish. Very poisonous liver. And I thought, well, you want to kill me right now? (laughs) Very poisonous. Anyway, but this shogun had enough experience to know that the first thing you should do after winning a battle is tighten your helmet straps. In other words, expect the next battle. And that's what verse 7 is saying when it says in verse 7, very important, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. Joseph had fought the battles of being rejected by his brothers. He had so many battles. He was rejected by his brothers. He had the battle of being thrown into the pit by his brothers. He had the battle of being sold by his brothers. He had the battle of being bought as a slave in Egypt. And Joseph had the victory over it as he became the top person in Potiphar's household. But Joseph should not take his helmet off. And instead, he should tighten his helmet staff because here comes the next battle. And this is the lesson for us as Christians, because we should keep our war helmets on, because that's the way life's going to be for us down here on earth. We're going to have victories only be followed by another battle. That's just the program. And the only time we get to take our war helmets off is when we reach heaven. But we can't take our war helmets off now because of what it says in Micah 2.10. Micah 2.10 says, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it's polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sword destruction. Life on earth is a series of battles. We just have to get used to it. Hebrews 13, 14 says, Here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We don't have rest on earth. We don't have a continuing city on earth. We don't have a ceasefire on earth. This will only come when we get to heaven. But here we've got a continual pattern of one battle after another. And this is what we're seeing in Joseph's life. So in verse 7, we have a description of this woman that's going to turn out to be the big battle here when she's called Potiphar's wife. But she's called his master's wife. That's the words that's used in verse 7, his master's wife. Now, by calling Potiphar's wife his master's wife, it's emphasizing how her lying with or being intimate with was only to be with Joseph's master. And every other man for her was to be a stranger. But when it says in verse 7 that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, that means that Potiphar's wife, she had a problem with her eyes. She had a problem with her eyes. She had a problem with her heart, which is a problem with her eyes. But Potiphar's wife needed to follow the instruction of all people, a Philistine king, Abimelech, who said exactly what Potiphar's wife needed to do when he rebuked Sarah back in Genesis 20, verse 16, Genesis 20, verse 16, when, where it says, 
And unto Sarah, he said, behold, I have given thy, quote unquote, brother, is Abraham, a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. And thus she was reproved. See, Potiphar's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and Potiphar's wife needed a covering for her eyes. And the covering that she needed was Potiphar and she needed that for her casting eye problem. You know, I have some dear friends in Frankfurt, Germany, Kurt and Helga, close friends because their daughter Stephanie actually spent a summer in our home. But when I'd be in Frankfurt, we would go to concerts together and a lot of times over to their house and just enjoy just sitting in their home and we'd sit around the table and Helga would set out the tea and the, the German cake. Of course it was German cake. It was in Germany, you know. <laughs> but we would just spend hours just talking. And Helga, you know, she was, you know, anyway, she was talking. And she would never refer to her husband as Kurt. That was his name, Kurt, by his name. She never called him by his name, Kurt. But whenever she was speaking to me, because she spoke kind of, she spoke English, but then she put some German with her. Anyway, she would always refer to him as mein Mann. My man, she would always say, which means my man. So she always called Kurt my man. See, Kurt was a covering for Helga's eyes. Kurt was a shield for Helga's eyes. And this is what is missing in Potiphar's wife. She doesn't have the shield or the covering of Potiphar as the covering for her eyes. And so Abimelech says, behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes in Genesis 20, verse 16. Genesis 20, 16, where he says, unto all that are with thee and with all other, thus she was reproved. So when Abimelech said, unto all that are with thee and with all other, he was saying to Sarah that if she made Abraham, my man, if she made Abraham to be the covering for her eyes, then she would be kept from committing adultery with all those men that were around her at that time and with committing adultery with all those men who she would be around in the future. Now, Potiphar's wife was an adulteress, and there's a very interesting description of an adulteress in Ezekiel 16, verse 32, Ezekiel 16, verse 32, where it says, but as a wife that committeth adultery, which taketh strangers instead of her husband. So adultery is described as taking strangers instead of her husband. An adulteress is a taking stranger instead of her husband person. And that's what Potiphar's wife is. She is an instead of her husband person. Now, when we read here what Potiphar's wife did, there's only one word to describe her actions when she cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. It's an assault. This is an assault. She is assaulting Joseph. This is all-out war. This was an assault on Joseph's purity to fall in the same way that Judah had fallen in the previous chapter, chapter 38, that Judah had fallen through this sexual immorality. This was an assault on Joseph's friendship with God. This strikes at the heart of who Joseph was. What it says, Joseph was a friend of God. The good Lord was with him. But what it says in James, in James chapter 4, verse 4, James 4, 4, James says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not 
that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy? So this was an attack on who Joseph was going to be friends with. Joseph with you is going to be friends with the world or a friend of God. Couldn't have it both ways. Could not be a friend of both. No more can we be a friend of both. There's got to be a choice. Compliance with the world's loose sexual permissiveness and personal tolerance with the world's sexual openness that will make anyone an instant friend of the world and an instant enemy of God. So God was the only source of Joseph's blessing. And so what she was doing was assaulting Joseph's supply line of blessing. Now, all through the trials in Joseph's life, Joseph had only one hope, only one hope of deliverance, and God was Joseph's only hope. So what Potiphar's wife was doing is she was mounting an assault on Joseph's hope. And the worst assault that Joseph was experiencing, that Potiphar's wife was making on Joseph, was on Joseph's companionship with God. When King David committed adultery, awful time, and he was really afraid, and the one thing he was really afraid of, and he expressed it in Psalm 51, the Psalm of Repentance, in Psalm 51, verse 11, Psalm 51, 11, his fear comes out when he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So after David commits adultery, he writes Psalm 51, his Psalm of Repentance, and he writes these words. So after adultery, David's greatest fear was that he would lose the presence of God. And this was the only compensation that Joseph had through all of his life was the presence of God. So what Potiphar's wife was doing here was an assault on Joseph's greatest benefit that he had, his only benefit, his only compensation that he had in life, which was, verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now, the name Satan means, in Hebrew, the adversary, the enemy. And Satan really has one goal as our enemy, and that's to destroy. That's all he does. The thief cometh not but for to kill and to destroy. That's his whole goal, is to destroy. And he wanted to destroy Joseph. And so the devil's got a toolbox of destruction, and he's got tools in there. And so the devil tried to destroy Joseph physically when his brothers had agreed to kill Joseph, but God rescued him through Benjamin, and the devil was frustrated. And then the devil tried to destroy Joseph by having him enslaved and sold as a slave, but God rescued him by having Potiphar purchase Joseph, and the devil was frustrated. And so the devil, in this state of frustration now, he reaches into his toolbox of destruction, and he pulls out his old trusty tool of destruction that has worked so well to destroy men, sexual sins. And Potiphar's wife is the tool that the devil resorts to in order to destroy Joseph in this way. So the devil tempted Joseph on his left side with all sorts of adversities and physical dangers, and now the devil turns to tempt Joseph on his right side as a young man who lived in a land where these sexual sins were just commonplace. And so now the devil is trying to destroy him, and that's exactly 
what we see the Jewish people were going through, that how he wanted to destroy the Jewish people when the king of Moab, Balak, looked for ways for how to destroy the Jewish people. So the king, Balak, he sent for his master wizard, Balaam. Do you go and curse the Jewish people? But God rescued the Jewish people by telling Balaam, don't go to curse them. He did that in Numbers 22, 12. God said unto Balaam, thou shalt not go with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Then King Balak, he finally persuades Balaam to finally go curse the Jewish people, but God again rescues the Jewish people by putting an unseen enemy with a sword in the road, and Balaam's donkey sees it, and then the donkey refuses to go. And it actually, it comes about that the donkey talks. But finally, Balaam does reach the place where he's going to curse the Jewish people. He's going to look at them down there. He's going to curse them. But God again rescues the Jewish people by causing Balaam to actually bless the Jewish people, as he said in Numbers 23.10, Numbers 23.10, when he says, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. Great blessing. Then King Balak is frustrated So he brings Balaam to another place to look at them and curse the Jewish people. But God again rescues the Jewish people by causing Balaam to even give a greater blessing on the Jewish people when he said in Numbers 23, 21, 23, 21, when he says, God hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is God is with him. The shout of a king is among them. And then he went on and said, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. He says he brought him out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. There's no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what God hath wrought. Behold, the people shall rise up as a lion, lift himself as the young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat the prey and drink the blood of the slain. So great blessings. So, The devil now has tried every way to destroy, let's take it from Joseph's side, and rescue him, and he's tried every way to try to destroy the Jewish people and rescue him. He's in a state of frustration, the devil is, and trying to destroy the Jewish people, only to find that God keeps rescuing them time after time. So he resorts to his trusty tool of sexual destruction, just as he did with Joseph. That was a strategy that worked, sexual immorality. So the destruction of the Jewish people that Balak could not accomplish by sending Balaam to go send to Israel, Balak now was able to accomplish by sending sexy Moabite women, as recorded in Numbers 25.1. Numbers 25.1, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the, the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab and these daughters. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, slay ye every man, every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow, and will worship with musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice, and hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Cannard, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible radio teacher. Cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.